Acts 2, verses 1 through 21, the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Peter's sermon at Pentecost. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on male servants, even, even my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun, sun, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. I want to say what a good job she did reading. I've told people when you encounter words that you don't know how to pronounce, just say them out loud and proud because no one in that congregation will disagree with you. <laughs> they don't know how to say them either. Um, but today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the day in which the church experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and which we recall uh, as we annually acknowledge the Pentecost. I grew up, I mentioned last time, I grew up on a western Pennsylvania small farm. Uh, my mother's family had nine, my mom had nine siblings. And so I had a great number of cousins. And my grandparents had a great number of grandkids, 24 in fact. And you can imagine the, um, 
energy, let's just put it that way, that's a nice positive way, the amount of energy that would be in place when the grandkids came to visit grandma and grandpa. And I don't know about you, but I grew up, we did not use the word why. In Western Pennsylvania, you said, how come? So how come grandpa, how come grandpa, how come grandpa, how come grandpa, how come grandpa? And my grandfather would finally, in exasperation, say, to make little boys like you ask questions, that's how come. Well, that wasn't a very satisfactory answer, but it's the one well, that you were going to get from my grandfather, to make little boys like you ask questions. But you know, that's how we all learn. We all ask questions of one sort or another. That's how we encounter the world. Some of us are a little more, um, let's just say, visceral in the way we learn. We, we have to touch things. Some of us, you know, touching with our brain, that's enough. Some of us are visual learners. But we all ask questions to explore the world in which we live. Um, I used to tell my students when I was teaching, there's really only one question that really, really makes me angry. And any thoughts what that might be? I'll tell you. The one question that would make me angry is the one that you wouldn't ask. Because if you didn't ask a question, I'd think, didn't I do a great job of explaining everything? And meanwhile, the students are going, I don't understand a word that he said. So the willingness to ask questions opens communication, not close it. So the, the question that really made me angry was the one that my students wouldn't ask. So today, we're going to ask a lot of questions. We're going to start with the two short questions that are a part of the passage today. Um, Verse 12, the crowd asked, what does this mean? And in verse 37, as Peter has explained what it is that they've seen and what they've experienced, he says, excuse me, the crowd says in verse 37, what shall we do? What does this mean and what shall we do? Those are two short questions here in this account of the spirits coming at Pentecost. We're also going to ask two more short questions about the passage, and that is what happened and why, or how come, to go back to my Pennsylvania roots. So in addition to those four, what does this mean, what shall we do, what happened, and why, or how come, I'm going to pose three more questions as we move towards the conclusion of, of today's message. Um, three more questions that come essentially from the world in which we live. Not questions directed at the passage per se, but perhaps questions directed at us who are members of the body of Christ. We're going to try to respond to those. So let's begin by, by looking at, at the passage itself. Pretty clear, you know, the first question, what happened? And verses 1 through 11 give us that uh, knowledge that as the believers were gathered together on the day of Pentecost, that's 50 years, or 50 years, 50 days after um, the Passover, after, in our Christian understanding, the crucifixion of Christ, they are together in one place, and from heaven there came the sound of a rushing wind. There was the tongues of fire that settled on sort of each person's head, or appeared to be tongues of fire. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Now, the amazing thing was, of course, that, that everyone who heard them speaking from all of these places that are, are listed there in verses 9 through uh, 10, all of these places heard a language 
with which they were familiar, hometown speak, as it were. Uh, I remember when I, I grew up, again, in Western PA, we did not have accents in Western PA. Because uh, everybody who lived there spoke just like me, so obviously no one had an accent. When I got in the Navy, I started to hear people who spoke kind of funny, and then I realized, hmm, maybe I sound that way to them. But to these folks, the language they heard was their hometown language. It's where they were from. And what amazed them was that those who were using these languages, or were speaking, were Galileans. Galileans had a reputation for being sort of backwoods folks. They were the crude ones. They were the out-of-towners, if you will. And it was just astonishing that they could speak at all, I suspect. Never mind in these, to them, what would have been foreign languages. And so what the people heard were, is in verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues, in our own languages, the mighty works of God. And the result, of course, was that they were, as verse 12 tells us, all were amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? Now, even in that query, the next verse tells us, verse 13, not everybody was on board with learning. They just mocked it. They're drunk. They're drunk. Just write it off. Don't pay any attention to what they're saying. But that's what happened. The sound of the wind, the appearance of the fire, and then the speaking of languages leading to the crowd saying, what's going on? What does this mean? That's what happened. And Peter stands up immediately in verse 14 and says, listen, they're not drunk. It's not even 9 o'clock in the morning. Not even drunkards get drunk before 9 o'clock in the morning. But, he says, verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In other words, why are we hearing? Why are we experiencing what we're experiencing? What is the meaning of the whole context? And Peter says, this isn't something that should be strange to you. This is what the prophet Joel said. And then he goes on to unfold Joel from the scriptures, that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and that sons and daughters and young men and old men and male servants and female servants will all prophesy. That is, they will speak the word of God. They will speak words that God gives them. Then he moves on to say, and, and then there will be wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth when the day of the Lord comes, or before that great and magnificent day comes. Why? Because God had spoken these things. If you look back in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah, speaking the word of the Lord, says to his hearers that the days are going to come when, when God will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. And I quote here from the scripture, Jeremiah 31, starting with verse 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So from the least, if you look at the passage, the least, of course, would be the female servants and the male servants. 
And the old men in that day, they would have been crowned with glory and honor in that culture. They're the greatest, but from the least to the greatest, there will be the knowledge of the Lord. There will be the speaking of the Lord's word. There will be the prophesying. Not, not in the, you might say, office of prophet, but in the action of speaking forth God's word. It's going to happen, and all of them will know me. That's why what you've seen in front of you is happening. What happened and why it happened. But what does it mean? Well, it, back in Acts chapter 1, in verses 10 through 11, we see the ascension of Jesus. And as the disciples in verse 10, it says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, this is Jesus ascending, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come as the same way, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Well, Luke uses that phrase, this Jesus, and we're going to see it echoed again and again. And again, I hope you have your Bibles open with me because we need to look at these things. Verse 22 and 23, as Peter begins to explain what's going on, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Now look, verse 23. This Jesus, the one who was, the one who was attested to you by the things that he did, this Jesus you crucified and killed. If this was a grand jury indictment, this would be the first charge. This Jesus you crucified and killed. But God raised him up. And then Peter quotes from the Psalms and describing how it wouldn't have been David who was being spoken of in the Psalm, but David is died, excuse me, died and was buried and his tomb is with us. But he was a prophet as well. He spoke about, verse 31, the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to haze, that, he didn't, that his flesh did not see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus, the same one that you saw going into heaven, the same one that you crucified and killed, this Jesus God raised up. And as Peter continues to unfold, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus. He goes on to say in, in Acts chapter 4 as he's before the Sanhedrin. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this Jesus is what Pentecost means. It is to turn the attention of the crowd in Peter's day at the temple grounds or in the city of Jerusalem, the the actual location is debated by scholars, but, but obviously the crowd that was gathered there, some to celebrate Pentecost, which is one of the feasts of the Jews, some who heard the sound, to let them know that it is this Jesus 
who has done what you see here today. It is this Jesus that is the focus of our faith, Peter says. It is this Jesus, says the angels, that you saw go into heaven who will return one day. It is this Jesus who will be the head of the Lord's host on that great and terrible day when God returns in judgment. It will be this Jesus whom God raised up and whom he has made both Lord and Christ. And that message penetrated to the hearts of his hearers. When they heard this is verse 37, they were cut to the heart and they asked Peter and the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? That's question number four, if you're keeping track. What happened and why and what does it mean and what shall we do as a result of that? And Peter tells them, repent. That's the first part. You need to repent. That is, change your mind about Jesus and your attitude toward him. I mean, these are people in Jerusalem, some of whom would have been present when Jesus was tried before Pilate. They would have been part of the crowd that screamed out, we want Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was guilty of heresy, of sacrilege. They had to change their mind about that. Repent, acknowledge what you have done wrong, and now be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Jews saw baptism as only necessary for Gentiles who might become proselytes. Those people needed a baptism. We don't. We're, we're Jews. We're already you know, in the right standing with God. That was their understanding. And now Peter's saying to them, look, that which you in your arrogance and pride demanded of Gentiles who would convert, God demands of you that you both need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. There is no other name, as I read previously in Acts 4. There is no other name by which you may be saved. And this you need to acknowledge by your repentance and being baptized. And you, says verse 35, excuse me, 38, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's two things that happen on the day of Pentecost to those who hear and believe. They are forgiven of their sins through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, and they're, they're grasping or accepting of that, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And it tells us, as, as with many other words, it says in verse 40, many other words, Peter bore witness and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. In other words, they're in the midst of people, fellow Jews, and we have read how they come from all over the ancient world, scattered there through the dispersion after the Babylonian destruction of, of Jerusalem, and also simply by, by commerce and transit. They are spread throughout the ancient known world. You need to be saved from the midst of those. As Paul reminds us, you know, not all who are of Abraham's flesh are true Jews, but only those of Abraham's faith. And it says then in verse 30, 41, those who received his word, believed it, accepted it, responded to it in obedience, 
there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the effect, if you will, the consequence of the day of Pentecost was the answer to the questions to those present, here's what we've seen, here's what we're experiencing, what does it mean? In response to what it means, what shall we do? And they repented, were baptized in the name of Jesus, that is declared that he indeed was the one in whom alone salvation is found and became members together of the body of Christ. And that's the fellowship of believers that concludes uh, Acts chapter two. So those are the first four questions. What happened, why, what does it mean, and what shall we do? But I wanna raise three more questions in, um, in relationship to unbelievers. I've been considering these things for the last several weeks now. They've just come pressing a little more forward in my consciousness. I was in conversation with a fellow at one of the places I call. I'm, I'm a chaplain for, for various businesses, and I call on workers in the workplace. And, and one young man was saying to me, just so anxious, so afraid of dying. And he was seeing all of these sort of signals around him that, that maybe death was around the corner for him. And uh, he said, and I was sitting in the parking lot this morning on, on the way into work, just looking at my phone, and a bird ran into my window. Now, I know what that means. He said, that, that means that someone who's crossed over is trying to give me a message. Okay. Um, but he said, what do you think it means? And that raised for me, and I raised with him, the first of my additional questions, the fifth question this morning. And that is this, what kind of world do you think we live in? A natural world or a supernatural world? Now, if you have your bulletins, and I, I chose these words from Dr. Schaefer with intent. Look at the front page of the bulletin. I'm going to read that out loud just so that it's in front of us as we continue. From the book, True Spirituality. Now, the Christian spirituality does not stand alone. It is related to the unity of the Bible's view of the universe. All the reality of Christianity rests upon the reality of the existence of a personal God and the reality of the supernatural view of the total universe. This is the Christian life and this is true spirituality. This emphasis is in Schaefer's original text. In the light of the unity of the Bible's teaching in regard to the supernatural nature of the universe, the how is the power of the crucified and the risen Christ through the agency of the indwelling Holy Spirit by faith. Now, perhaps a lot to chew on, but the heart of this is the fact, what kind of world is this? And I said to my friend that I was talking with, if we live in a materialistic world only, then you're good, because all that's happened to you is you're, the chemicals in your brain are sloshing around. You've taken away from that the notion that, you know, you're going to die or someone on the other side is trying to talk. But we live in a materialistic world. That's got to be nonsense. There is no other side. There is no spirit life. It's only material. Now, if on the other hand, we live in a supernatural universe, a universe in which there are material things, granted, but there are also supernatural things. There is a spirit world. Now there's an awful lot of possibilities that open up as to what you're thinking and what you're experiencing. Again, I'm, I'm, I don't have any insight into that. I'm simply saying the first question that you need to ask yourself, what kind of world is this? A natural 
only or a supernatural world? That question comes to you, to me, as believers in the Lord Jesus in all kinds of ways. But fundamentally, that's a question that the person asking has to decide. What kind of world is this? And the only two choices are material only or material plus. And if the answer is material plus, you need to think about what the plus is. And that brings me to the second question. What difference does faith make? Now, the world might be asking us that, and we may be asking that of the world. Uh, I want to illustrate this by an experience that Kathy and I had when we were living in, in Scotland. We were in Scotland, England for about a year and a half when we were first married. I worked on a rig on the North Sea. And at the end of that time, we took a bike trip. We spent about four months on bicycles in England and Scotland. And at one point, we were bicycling across the Salisbury Plain to see Stonehenge, and a, a storm came up. And we scooted under some water tanks, and at that time, uh, the water tanks, at least in that area of Britain, were not round up on towers like here, but they were square blocks that were maybe three feet above the ground, and that was water tanks. And we ducked under one of those to avoid the thunderstorm that we could see coming across the Salisbury Plain. And to make a very long story short, a fellow encountered us there, discovered who we were, and invited us home to his house for dinner that evening. And so we made our way there on our bicycles, and he was fixing us dinner. And we explained to him that, I think I mentioned to you last time, I had become a Christian at Labrie in England. This was some short few weeks prior to that. And I was pretty excited. And so I said to him, I came to know who Jesus was, you know, and, and became a Christian. And his name was Bob. Bob very, very, you know, condescendingly said, I think that's wonderful. I think everybody should believe something. It doesn't matter what it is, but, you know, you should just believe something. Well, I let that go because I was a guest in his home, you know, okay, and we were just preparing dinner. But a little later on in the conversation, he mentioned a neighbor who had recently bought a home in, in the area and uh, was the most unpleasant person. He blocked off access to a country walk. There used to be a place to park your car, and then you could take a walk. Any of you who know Brits, they love walking. They like walking in the dales and the hollows and the fields. He had blocked off access to the walk. And so Bob was complaining about that. He said, I just don't, I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, he's supposed to be a, I think he was a member of parliament, whatever that meant in those. But he's, you know, he's a member who stands for something. And yet here he is being unneighborly and unkind and just mean and stingy. I just, I can't understand why you would do that. And I said to him, Bob, um, if you'll forgive me, you know, a moment ago when we were talking, you said it doesn't matter what somebody believes just as long as they're sincere. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I, I meant that in religion and philosophy. And then he stopped himself right there. Oh, he said, I guess it does make a difference, doesn't it? He answered his own question, didn't he? Yeah. Why do people act like they do? It's because of what they believe. At the heart of our Action at the heart of what comes out is what's inside. Jesus says, out of, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, the, the good man out of the goodness of his heart brings forth good fruit, and the evil man out of the, you know, the fullness of his heart brings forth evil deeds. And I said, Bob, you said it didn't make any difference what you believed as long as you were sincere, and here you are. This guy is acting in accordance to a sincere belief. Yeah, hmm, 
I guess that isn't just philosophy and religion. That's reality. But that's a question that, that the world doesn't know the answer to. What difference does faith make? Faith makes all the difference in the world. And that leads me to my third, you might say, extra credit question. And this is one that's brought to the forefront of my thinking by a friend of mine. He's a campus worker uh, at Westchester University. And so I inquired of him. I said, so what's the sort of spiritual temperature on campus these days? And what he said both, both astonished me and, and shouldn't in many ways, but, but it also made me sad. And he said, the kids he encounters on campus today, he's been doing this for over 10 years now, the kids I encounter on campus today are groundless, aimless, friendless, and afraid. They, they are without foundation, they are without focus, they are without friends, and they are without a future. And that's their existential reality. He said, you know, I, I don't want to go off into a diatribe, but I think the internet and personal devices account for much of that. Because 24-7, you can be worrying about stuff over which you have absolutely no control, into which you have absolutely no input, and which scares the heck out of you. And if you have no foundation, no, as Dr. Schaefer said, no Christian worldview, which admits of a God who is personal and who loves you, then you have no basis to evaluate. And, and this COVID world in which we, have, we are still living, but which we have come through, has reinforced isolation. He said, Campus Crusade used to do large group events, and, and kids would come to that, and then we'd follow them up individually. He said, kids don't come to large events anymore. They're, they're afraid, in one sense, but they also feel isolated. They're only comfortable with their device. You'll see that. Groups of kids standing, instead of connecting to one another, they're on their device. They may be texting the person right next to them, but they do it through their device. And in that environment of, of, of no foundation, of, of being groundless, of being afraid, they find themselves friendless. It's not that there's you know, not sort of a social buzz going on. That's what social media is about. But try to connect to a person in reality, and fear keeps them apart. They are alienated from one another. They are alienated from the world. And they are ultimately, of course, alienated from God. Without God and without hope in the world, as Peter says in 1 Peter. So those three questions are ones that I think we need to be aware of as Christians in the world today. We have, as our foundation, the word of God. We have the living presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, which we celebrate today in Pentecost. But we, but we also know through scripture, through the testimony of the Spirit, and through our experience of living as believers, we know what kind of world this is. And Pentecost says as much. This is a world where God has spoken and brought about his plan. And whether that plan was to speak through Joel and the prophets into the day of Pentecost, or whether to send his son to die on the cross for our sins that we might be cleansed and forgiven and brought into a relationship with God. God had a plan, a personal plan. 
And so the question of the world around us, I think, can boil down to, do I really matter? Yeah, they're going to talk about religion. They're going to talk about philosophy. They're going to talk about problems around the world. They're going to talk about social media. They're going to talk about their classmates and their teachers and the government and politics. But at the end of the day, the real question is, do I really matter? And of course, we as believers can say, absolutely, for God so loved the world, including you, that he sent his only begotten son. He gave us Jesus to die on the cross that, that we might be forgiven of our sins and, and brought into a relationship with the Lord himself, the, the maker of all things. And now we have a foundation and we have a focus. We, we know where we are going and we know where we've come from. And, and in reliance upon Jesus in faith, we're free to confess our sins because he cleansed them. We don't have to hide from one another. We can't hide from God. Adam and Eve tried that, and it's not been successful ever since. It can't be done. It can't be done. But if we recognize that the spirit who spoke at Pentecost is the spirit who continues to speak, and not only to speak through God's word, but to indwell those who accept that word, then we have an answer for a world that wonders if they really matter. You know, if, if, if God loved you, if God loved me, sinners that we are, he certainly loves the one that we're talking to. I mean, if Paul can describe himself as chief of sinners, then certainly, certainly, no one in the world is exempt from the love of God through Jesus Christ. So why is there a Pentecost? What does it mean? What shall we do? Well, I'm going to say the answers in our day to those questions, including what kind of world is this and what difference does faith make and do I really matter? The answer to those questions are the same as the answers in Peter's day. And Peter said, repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus, be, be baptized in his name, that is brought into the fellowship of the body of Christ, into the church, to, to live faithfully and obediently to the Lord. And then as Peter says in his first epistle, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always being ready to give an answer anyone who asks you for a reason that for the hope that you have but do this says Peter with gentleness and respect you see the, the the questions that we ask are the questions that enable us to learn and the questions that others ask of us are opportunities for them to learn but only if we are ready to give an answer out of our own experience of the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. It is this Jesus, this Jesus who rose, this Jesus who ascended, this Jesus who will return, that is our hope, that is our life, that is our salvation. In him, in him, let's bow together. Father, we give you thanks for the great love that has come to us in Jesus. We thank you that the promise of scripture is that he is present to us. He has not left us alone. That we have a counselor, an advocate who has come to dwell in us. That, that you 
Almighty God, make your home with us. You, you tabernacle in the body of Christ. And so in that we rejoice, and I pray that you would give us great joy and give us boldness with humility and wisdom as we share this good news with the world around us that is groundless and aimless and friendless and afraid. May the message of Pentecost, the message of the gospel, be good news to their ears as it was to ours. And may you have all the praise and glory through Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.